Welcome to Dr. Thoughts, a smart, driven, and fabulous podcast by Drs. Ryan LaValle and Kalia Johnson, where sometimes it's about occupation and sometimes it's just sassy. everybody to another episode of Dr. Thoughts Podcast. It's everybody's favorite academic mama, Dr. Kalia Johnson, here with everybody's favorite partner in occupation, Dr. Oh, Ryan okay. LaValle. Yeah, see, P-O, P-O, P-O. Kept it cute, kept it cute. <laughs> I love it. That's a reprisal too, Dr. P.O., remember? Yes, yes. <laughs> the chicken I episode. Think, <laughs> I think that should be... Um, Maybe your name permanently, or at least for the remainder of season two. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll keep it for season two, but I don't know if we can do permanent. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said permanent for season two, right? That doesn't even yeah. sound right. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, help me. So Ryan and I are also here today with Dr. Ala Abu Arab, a good friend. Uh, I won't even say emerging thought leader, y'all. He is a thought leader in the profession on racial bias, on occupation, on all things. Get your life together. (laughs) And joining us very, very early this morning. So first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for being up and at it with the chickens, as my grandfather would say. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) I'm well. I'm well. I'm blessed. I thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a it's a pleasure to be here. Um, the time of the day uh, is not an issue. Um, like <laughs> I mentioned you in the in, um, in the previous chat before we started recording. I really I really honored to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be a part of this. Um, there's a sense of belonging and a sense of community here, and uh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. So thank you. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here, and I also think that we need a future podcast on just parenting as OTs because. One, I'm learning, um, not yet a parent, but always listening and wanting to be a great gay uncle. Um, but we're so excited to have you here and uh, and love the work that you do and the, the willingness that you have to say truth into the occupational science and occupational therapy world. Um, and that's, I think, what we're going to talk a little bit about today, just your research and, and what you're interested in and some of the truths that we've heard you um, spill throughout the, the community and in, in the OTOS realm. Um, but first, I wanted to ask just a little bit, since you are sort of a, a newer practitioner scholar, um, tell us a little bit about your story, where you came from, how you got to OT, and, and what brought you to sort of the research that you're doing right now? Yeah, so um, I, I identify as a, a cisgendered Arab male. Um, I was born and raised in uh, a small town outside of Toledo, Ohio, um, super small town. I mean, literally, you know, fields across you from a house, um, Midwest, uh, Plains, you know, very um, white Christian um, majority and uh, decided to, um, you know, growing up as a first generation immigrant, my parents were Lebanese and they came in like 78 or 79, had all their kids here in the States but sharing those two cultures, that first generation immigrant sort of lifestyle where you're balancing two different identities in a way, um, sort of where this all sort of started. Um, and having that, that pressure from your, your parents and your community to succeed and to go to school and oftentimes doctors, lawyers, pharmacists, it's those professions where you're 
not only making a good living, but also so your parents tell others what you do, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> my doctor's son or my, my, my lawyer daughter, you know, it's mm-hmm. sort of a, like the commonality there. And I decided to not go to med school um, and go to what I want, what I thought I wanted to do was physical therapy, to be honest, because I, I was in the sports. I wanted to be like a PT for like a sports team. You know, I wanted to, to follow these sports teams around the country and, you know, maybe you'll end up in the NBA or the NFL or something like that. And then I got a job as a, as a rehab tech um, at a hospital in Ohio as an undergrad. And it was a acute rehab center. And, you know, of course, you're, you're, you're helping OTs and PTs and even STs. And I was in a traumatic brain injury unit. Um, and this OT was playing checkers with the patient. And I'm like, Hey man, you're getting paid for this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, like, you know, and I'm, you know, 21, 20 years old, you know, thinking like, you know, again, I'm thinking like my mom, my dad, we need to be a doctor. I need to change the world, this and that. And so looked at me, he said, listen, this patient had a, a frontal lobe injury. He's got to have, he's having a hard time, you know, sequencing through activity and problem solving through different things, you know, and Checkers is a good basic way of sort of incorporating that activity. Um, and I was like, mine was blown. And I, so again, so then I started asking my supervisor that to, to, to be more with the OTs and see what they were doing. Next thing you know, we're putting people on commodes, we're, we're transferring them into tubs. You know, we're doing these really personal and functional and like real things. And I said, I think I found it. I think I found that balance between the medicine world and the social world where I'm actually providing a just service. You know, it's not just like, let's go walk 20 feet and then, you know, we'll talk to your nurse. It's like, we're actually doing things. Dramatically. <laughs> I'm going to call them out. We, we, we can go on to that even longer. Later on. Um, I'm really, I'm really honestly in all, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm so proud to be an, an occupational therapist. It's the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. Um, I don't like the student debt that I have, but in the end, it's like, it's totally what I needed to be and what I wanted to be. And through all my training, I've always been sort of, um, and like I said, an activist, right? So like, even as undergrad, um, we were protesting the Iraq war, um, the, the occupation of Palestine, uh, even at the time they were building a wall at the Southern border, um, you know, LGBTQIA rights and, and gay marriage rights in Ohio. Um, so we've been doing this stuff, my brother and I, for. A super long time and it was unfortunate for me when I got into OT school how not what I thought it was going to be when it comes to the justice aspect of things right mm. it went from what I thought you know you know uh, like what I thought was going to be sort of a, a smooth transition into sort of helping people and changing the world and changing systems to where no you got to be a part of this system you got to follow these rules you got to make this billing you got to be productive you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is not what I'm trying to do here. And so I went to OT school in Philadelphia. Oh, I met my wife in Ohio. Um, we moved to Philadelphia together as boyfriend, girlfriend. And um, I went to OT school there. We spent about six years in Philadelphia, graduated OT school, got my, deg- got my degree, got my license. And then we decided to do travel therapy. Um, she's a social worker. I'm an OT. And so we came to California and, you know, three or four years of travel therapy, some personal, you know, dynamics with, with family and, and stuff in Ohio where I had to kind of go back and forth, sort of limited in my ability to do what I wanted to do in the profession. Um, you know, life happens, right? Like things happen. 
people get sick, something happens, you know, like things happen, like the cow model says, like stuff just goes in the river and you got to kind of adjust and modify and adapt. And so I wasn't able to do really what I wanted to do with my, with like my degree. And so I said, you know what, I'm going back to school and I'm gonna get my doctorate. Um, and that was like 2015 is when I decided to do it. Uh, 2016 and I said I'm not gonna do it unless the university my advisor my professors are on board with what I want to do so I'm gonna call them directly you know a couple of different schools and I picked Temple because of a colleague that was a, my teacher um, for my master's degree and I called them directly and I said hey this is what I want to do I need to find a way to blend the social model with the medical model I gotta find a way to blend my 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 desire to help and to, to for a just world and, and change systems with occupational therapy and so they were on board you know there wasn't really any sort of um pushback with what i wanted to do the only issue i had was the research aspect and i think you know you guys both understand like everything's evidence-based and science-based right well it was frustrating at, 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 because how are you trying to tell me that what I'm feeling, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what I'm breathing, right? And the racism that's existent in our systems and our society isn't evidence enough. You know what I mean? You're trying to tell me what I feel is not right. You know, I gotta do, I gotta do a peer review on what I'm feeling, you know? Like I don't need, you know, five, five people that I don't know review an article that I wanna write and tell me what's what. I know what's what. I know what I feel. I know what I see. I know what I've seen. You know, like, so it was hard to like really humble myself in that way, to where I wanted to do, you know, curriculum changes and I wanted, you know, the decolonizing aspect of things, right? All these different kind of grand ideas. And my advisor, God bless her, she was really supportive. She said, "Allah, no one's doing this yet. There's no articles about this. There's no research. There's nothing you can go from." Um, and I said, well, I mean, you know, we were kind of like going back and forth and she said, just break it down as best you can. And I, so I did. And so I decided to just really assess the profession the best I could. And I assessed racial bias um, within the profession. And I wanted to assess both implicit and explicit racial bias um, because it hasn't been done. And so um, it was sort of a foundational research attempt. And I'm glad that it, it happened the way it happened. Um, it's annoying how when we want to make change, we're told to be incremental. We're told to be do this and do that. And we'll get there when we get there. You know, and like James Baldwin always said, like, how much time do you need? Like mm -hmm. my grandfather's time, my father's time, my great grand, you know what I mean? How much time do you actually need from us? How much time do how often are we gonna die and, and suffer until we get enough time to make these changes? And so I did it anyways, and, and, and I'm proud that I did it. And I, you know, as I told Kalila, like I just finally sent in for a publication reluctantly with all with, with all due respect. Because I don't need somebody else to tell me what's what and how my research is important or not important, you know. Um, there's been enough people in my life to share their experiences, my own personal experiences, to tell me, you know, that this stuff is existent and that we need to fix it. And so that's kind of a short sort of synopsis of kind of my 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 sort of track into the into the profession as a clinician. Um, I've had the, the pleasure, honestly, of of working in all the different settings of OT um, as a traveler. So that was a pretty powerful thing that I was able to do. And it really showed the versatility of our, of our profession. Um, I've, done, I've done schools, I've done home health, early intervention, sniff care, you know, acute care, um, inpatient rehab. Um, and so it's, it's good to see our versatility in that, in that respect. Um, and good to see what's lacking in each and every genre of our profession. Mm -hmm. um, 
And on top of all of that, you know, my name is Allah. And so, you know, how that's just, it's just what it is. So like the, the daily, micro, <laughs> the daily microaggressions, the daily nonsense, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of, since I was, since I knew my name, right. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is actually Allah Adin, um, in Arabic, it's Aladdin. And so Allah is a short version of Aladdin. It's like Will or William, um, Jeff or Jeffrey, if you will. And so, um, I've dealt with where are you from and tell me your story and the curiosity and the, the nonsense for a long time. That's sort of what built my, my resiliency um, in all of this. And after, after a lot of trauma and, and, and you know, dealing with and processing, um, I've sort of, sort of taken the gloves off, if you will, um, when it comes to all of this stuff. Like I mentioned, uh, earlier, you know, we had some, some family issues back in Ohio that were pretty powerful, that were hard to deal with. And sort of since then, I just said, you're not going to stop me from what I need to say and when I need to say it. Um, I'm also careful because I do have a family now and others are relying on me. And so there is a tough balance with, with, with all of that. Um, um, so that's sort of my background, I guess, Ryan, um, yeah, it's funny. We we have a similar trajectory in a lot of ways um, in that I went through OT school and similarly sort of was like, I want to not be so biomedical, but yeah. I like the science, but I, I see so much potential for this idea of occupation to contribute to a social world. Um, and I don't know. I think that there's just the the culture of our profession is not so excited about that idea because it challenges them to to enact the work of an occupational therapist in broader places and more complex places in certain ways. I mean, not to say that the body itself isn't super complex and wonky and weird, um, but the the social systems through which we move as therapists and as people is 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 tough. <laughs> um, and I do have to correct myself. I, I'm realizing I, I thought that you had just graduated with an entry-level OTD. I didn't realize a post-professional OTD. So <laughs> you are a well-practiced OT. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe guess just you, you a more say, research, like, recent scholar that's right. uh, OTD that's right. sort of thing. Okay, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I finished my OTD, Ryan, in 2019. Um, and that's another part of the reason why, like, you know, my, my business model that we can talk about that a little bit later, but why I'm waiting to sort of do the research publication. And because I graduated, then we got, we had the baby and then the pandemic hit and then George mm-hmm. got murdered. And I told my wife, like, I really don't want to come off as performative or reactionary. This is my life's work. I want to be authentic with what we're doing. Um, let's hold off on this consultancy for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let all the reactionary nonsense die down. Let's let people's colors truly show we know who our allies are, who not, who are not going to be our allies, and we're seeing that kind of coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. We're trying to, yeah. we're trying to see who's really about that life and who's not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I, it's it's difficult to navigate, but I really wanted to to stay authentic with what we're doing. Um, but yeah, pretty seasoned clinician. I love, like I said, I love being OT. I even love the clinical one on one aspect of, th- of things. Of course, these last two years I've been dealing with straight COVID. Um, so, you know, you're dealing with neurology and they have COVID or you're dealing with, you know, a, a cabbage or, or a cardiac issue and they have COVID. Um, and so it's a, been a whole new layer of, of emotional trauma and, and, and the loneliness of, of these individuals as they recover was mm-hmm. something I, I, I didn't, was not prepared for. Um, I, I don't think anybody can really prepare yourself for like 
you know, people dying alone and, you know, not seeing their families or recovering as they FaceTime their families, you know, it was just, yeah. it was something else to sort of witness on a clinical uh, level. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a seasoned uh, OT, but a newer uh, researcher. And, and I, I think you, I, I sent you the, the chapter that I wrote. Um, so that was my mm-hmm. first sort of um, imprint um, on, on text and research and, and whatnot. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, proud, I'm, I'm proud of my work. I'll be honest. I'm really proud of my work. Yeah. And, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, but I know that it's got to get done. There's a lot more. What I've noticed and what I'm proud of really more than anything is that there's a lot more of me out there than I thought there was, right? And I think COVID yeah. and, and you know, the racial reckoning, if you will, of the path of 2020 sort of opened me up and, and sort of brought bridges to all of us mm-hmm. and like, you know, relays and there's different now connections that I thought I didn't think I was going to have. Um, so I feel a lot less alone and what I'm doing, and that to me is really powerful, and it means a lot. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Cleo. Yeah, because uh, I was just sort of reflecting on how we even got connected, and in the most random way, it was on LinkedIn, and LinkedIn is probably the space uh, or social media. I'm like, well, I don't know what you classify LinkedIn as, but it's definitely a platform that I use the least. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, it was it was just happenstance that I. I think somebody that we were mutually connected with commented on something that you were, in fact, I think it was that book chapter and it caught my attention. I was like, who is this? And I'm reading, I'm like, I want to know him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, you know, then of course, you know, we find out that we have um, other mutual connections, but you're right that in sort of this um, season of COVID, the way that um, one, people have sort of revealed their willingness to engage the work long-term, um, mm-hmm. whether it's performative or not, um, has been, I would just say interesting. It's been sobering for me, like pe- learning that people that I had, had long had respect for um, really didn't value, not my work, but really my humanity mm-hmm. um, in ways that I, I thought that they did. Um, and then even thinking about the preparedness, right? The professional's ability to really step into areas that we already exist, right? But to own our um, our responsibility in, in changing systems, but also owning the responsibility that we also perpetuate the system and, and dealing with that either from a professional in as a professor or a clinician, but also the curricular in um, as, as an educator. And that preparedness and that sort of resistance to prepare has been a lot, like a huge pill to swallow. Like it feels like it chokes you, yes. right? Because you, it's like, oh, the, when you talk about this, how much you love being an OT, I love being an OT as well. And sometimes I wish I could take OT and shake it to death (laughs) sometimes and say, wake up, do not sort of put on these blinders that we are not a part of this living, breathing thing that traumatizes and re-traumatizes people on the daily, even in our practice. And so I say all of that to say, I really appreciate your work. I appreciate your thoughtfulness. I appreciate your timing. Um, 
and I don't even think I knew your wife was a was a social worker. And so I always yeah. say so, social workers at OT is like we we're kind of twins yeah. <laughs> in a way. So that's really dope to hear um, yeah. that you're you're partnered with the with a social worker. That's just a you know random aside. I always social workers are my people. My sister is one. I love a social worker. Yeah, but uh, but no, yes. we definitely powerful. appreciate that powerful. and thankful that in the pandemic I found you randomly on LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah, and we were on a panel together right that's how we that's first right. met yeah. yeah yeah i remember that too with kira yeah yeah and, and, um you know it's it's funny because you know i was all over the internet like i was on facebook i was on instagram i was on all these different things and then you know again family issues back home in ohio sort of kind of put us in a, a dangerous position so i took everything off the internet um and so my linkedin was my like sort of re-entering into the, the the metaverse whatever you want to call it you know <laughs> the virtual world um and so you know I, I had i had a handle back then it was you know i had followers and i was posting and all these different things um and then i had to kind of cut cut off and just keep ourselves uh, ourselves my family safe um and then i got my degree and i sort of like i said relaunched my my i guess brand or whatever you want to call it um and linkedin was well, I thought, I don't know, the easier way of doing it, it was more straightforward. Um, when I got back on Instagram, I said, what is a real, what the hell is all this? Like, everything, <laughs> changed. everything was so different. And then, yeah, it was like, there's, there were stories and there was reels and there's all these, I'm like, ah, you know what, I'm overwhelmed. I'm just gonna stick to LinkedIn and then I'll, I'll, I'll start from there and we'll go from there. Um, but it was, how do I, it was like, I knew how I wanted to to go forward. It's just I wasn't sure of how it was going to be received. And um, in 2020, late early 2021, I wrote a letter, um, an open letter to OT professionals and OT organizations on the situation in Palestine. Um, and that was actually a letter that my brother and I wrote together. My twin brother. I'm a twin. Um, yeah. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm real quick. I'm one of four boys. Um, I'm we're in the middle. My, my twin and I are in the middle. Um, I'm born and raised in Ohio. They all still live in Ohio. Um, and we were, he wrote a letter to his university, and I wrote a letter to like the OT organization saying like I'm sick of the silence, right? And we've always been sick of the silence, whether it be for gay rights or anybody else. We've, we're sick of like just trying to keep things comfortable, like you're saying, Kalia, like. You want to shake the profession, right? But like, they'll tell you like, don't shake things. Like, be careful with shaking things because if you shake things, you're going to upset people that are in charge. And if you upset them, people, then you might, you know, lose a, a opportunity. You might, you know, it's almost like these unwritten threats, right? And as I mentioned, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was sad. I was exhausted. I was, you know, like, how much can we take to, uh, to continuing to allow? individuals to just dismiss the suffering of people that look like me. I was over it. Like it's been 30 years, my entire adult, my entire life almost, where they've been bombarding the Middle East bipartisanly, right? And I'm just like, this is it. I can't take it anymore. And so I wrote that letter and I was quite honestly, really, really throw I guess, taken aback with the support that I received as opposed to the backlash. Um, 
And that was sort of like the, that opened up the floodgates for me. I said, you know what, I'm here. This is who I am. You know, you might, not, you might have a hard time pronouncing my name, but I, I'm still gonna be here. Like, I just, I'm, here. I'm here. And, and, and it was like, I was like, oh my God, there's 2000 views. Oh my God, there's 3000 views. Oh my God, this is what it feels like to go viral. This, they, they, yeah. they, how, how many views does it count to, does it count, does it count to, be, to be viral? Where does it count? What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the threshold here? I think I, I think I did it, you know? Um, and, and it was it was at that point where I said, okay, this is who I am. And now, so I, I went, we went back to the drawing board. We, you know, opened up our LLC, which is no bias. Um, and, uh, and then here we are. And so the idea is to really take this to the next level by not just having a platform for people to speak their minds and, and, and share their experiences, but to actually acknowledge uh, minoritized people's expertise in these, in these experiences. Like I mentioned before, it's, I don't need a peer review to tell me what's what about my experiences, right? And so those of us that have lived in minoritized and marginalized groups that is in itself an expertise that you can't replicate, duplicate. You can't sort of take that away from them. That lived experience is in and of itself an expertise. And I want to highlight those things. And so we're, we're, we're going to start doing, you know, monthly uh, workshops and webinars by clinicians of color um, and marginalized groups to share those experiences in and within OT, right? And how OT leads to other health professionals, right? And how these systems that we're living in are purposefully keeping us from shaking the profession up, right? They're doing this on purpose. And, and we, like I mentioned in that um, Instagram live um, event, like if we're still asking for your permission, then just get the hell out of our way. Like, I don't, like either you're gonna be on our team or you just get the hell out of the way. Like, I don't need you to tell me to do things nicely or to do things in a, a courteous or, or way. Like, I don't care about your feelings. People are dying. I don't care about, you know, making my supervisor uncomfortable. I don't care about making the president of this state association uncomfortable. Like, if you're, if you're uncomfortable, that's, that's a you problem. And that's something you got to fix, you know? And if you're ignorant or unaware of a certain topic, again, that's a you problem. And I'm not in charge of, 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 of exposing you or, or educating you on, on what is what. It's 2022. Google is very easy to use. There's a lot of information out there. Un, you know, uh, censored. There's a lot. It's easy to find information, which is why we're seeing in our, in our our younger generation and Gen Zs is they have this information, right? They have it. They're using it. Yeah. They're showing it. They're sharing it. Um, and and it's no longer okay to say, you know what? I just didn't know. I'm sorry, Allah. I just didn't know. No, you did know. You don't care. You know, that's the difference. You know. Um, and so it's kind it's of interesting to me. Um, well, so one, I just want to clarify your, your handle and your business is K N O W bias, not right. N O W bias. N O bias. So right. no bias, um, just to so our listeners know how to find you. Um, you. but I, I want to ask a, a sort of personal question in that, like, I think Lee and I have talked about this fire in us that gives us sort of the audacity to speak our truth, the the boldness of being able to just say to people sort of what you're talking about, like, it's not my problem for you to be uncomfortable. It's it's my problem to speak my truth, to know myself, to to share myself in a way that's authentic and and dignified for me. 
Um, but in, in many ways that makes people uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I pull on queerness. I pull on queering a space. I, I pull on humor, but, um, and I, I clear, you can speak to how you do that in, in certain ways, but I guess my question to, I guess, both of you now, um, is sort of what is, what is that fire for you? What is the personal motivation? What is the thing you hold on to, to hold steady in that audacity in that boldness of being able to speak the truth? Like, what is your foundation that allows you to be able to speak up um, in, a, in a system and in a space that often tells us to be silent? Yeah, I, th I, th I think for me personally, Ryan, I, I'm coming from a position of privilege. And when you have privilege, you have opportunity to speak up, right? I, I even though I, I have, I've had my experiences of, of racism and I felt it, you know, since I was little, really little, you know, and going back, I didn't realize that was racism at the time, right? It's those weird dynamic, right? Um, but I'm also um, a person of privilege. And I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty much a white passing male, right, in America. And so I can, I can use that privilege. And I have to use that privilege, right? And that privilege gives me opportunity. And without my empathy, I wouldn't have that. And so really, when, it, when it, for me, it breaks out into empathy and thinking about somebody outside of yourself. Um, and that's for me how, how, how this has always been. Um, so it's like, that's really what my foundational drive is always going to be is empathy, you know? Um, and because I have the empathy and then the, alongside my privilege, that's an opportunity to share and, and change and mold or however, whatever word you want to use um, mm -hmm. to really get us into a better place. And then honestly, and as cliche as it sounds, more recently, my kid, Ryan, like, like my kid is, he's so cool and he's so awesome. And he's so like, he's a happy baby. And he has no idea what the hell is in store for him. You know, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a mixed race male in this country. And it's like, I'm so scared for him at the same time. I'm so proud to have him. And so I want to be able to show him, hey, like, this is what I've done. I want you to be safe and healthy and, and I want you to, you know, to struggle at all. Um, and so I have my foundation of my own experiences, but now that I have him, that motivation has been like, it's tenfold now, right? I have that much more um, ammunition or power or whatever you want to call it to really, to really keep going. Um, yeah. So like, you know, he was, I, and, and honestly, to be frank with both of you, like, he wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> oh, straight you up. Too? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, I've been with my wife for we had been together now for it's been nineteen, almost nineteen years. And so I met her in my early twenties. We've been together for pretty much our whole adult life. Um, we were together for, for fifteen years. We thought it wasn't happening. We didn't. We weren't planning on having it. We were living our life, traveling, Las Vegas, Santa Barbara, just doing our living our life. And then one day he, he, you know, we were having a glass, of, a glass of wine. And she said, this, is, this doesn't taste good. And I said, oh boy. <laughs> that was like the first taste aversion. And, um, you know, a week later we took a test and then the rest is history. And so um, he wasn't part of the plan, but he's supposed to be here. And um, he, yeah, he's supposed to be here. And he's, he's sort of been the, ne the, the next, that next level of motivation, if you will. Yeah. 
um, as corny as that might sound, um, being a dad is the coolest occupation I could think of. No, no doubt about it. Oh gosh, yeah. not corny at all. What, what's corny is feeling like I'm holding back tears. As soon as you <laughs> said that, it's like, it gave me goosebumps because I'm like, oh my God, all these feelings like started flooding back about, you know, finding yeah. out we're having a baby and knowing the type of world that you're bringing a child, a child of color at that, you yeah. know, another black female and what that that experience um, will inevitably be like for her. Uh, but similarly to you, it's this sort of profound responsibility you feel um, as a person uh, from a privileged background. You as somebody who um, is white passing, but me as somebody who um, feels a lot of times like an anomaly in my own community, right? Like I have college educated grandparents, you know, wow. that is, that is not commonplace for a lot of black folk, right? So being somebody who um, has, has had the fortune of coming from a family that is well resourced, I feel a great responsibility to to pay it forward, right? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, the ancestors have made a way for me and now it is my job to make sure that I am bringing along people as I climb, you know, build as we, you know, we climb. Like it's it's, it's on me to, to, to do that for others as well. And now that now that we have our, our surprise Nova, um, <laughs> you know, just the, the, gosh, the, the additional fire that I feel to, um, really contribute to a world where she can thrive, you know, where mm -hmm. black children, black people, um, other people of color can thrive mm -hmm. and, and live their best life is, gosh, honestly, everything that I think about in every waking, breathing moment. Um, Ryan has seen it firsthand, like any sort of feeling of mistreatment like I didn't, I didn't know I could turn into the kind of person that that I become in those moments. It's like, whoo! I know they say like when you become a parent, well, you the, the bear comes out. It's like, man, it without yeah. without you notice. haven't to, you haven't threatened to burn down a building in front of me for your yeah. child. <laughs> that hasn't happened at yeah. all ever. Yeah, it's like watch, watch out. But yeah, something about becoming a parent um, that really just open, even opens your eyes to um, sort of the social ills that just continue to plague our community at large or just, or just the black community or just the OT community is just, it does something to your spirit that I honestly do not have words for. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. One thing that you both said that I just want to highlight, well, sort of said was empathy alongside privilege is an opportunity for change. Um, and I think that's a really powerful thing to name in that both of you have sort of named privilege that you brought to the table, but also the empathy and obviously love for your children, um, but <laughs> also the love for the other people around you and your communities and, and that sort of thing that sort of drive you forward. So it was just a sort of a very clear statement that I think was really powerful in a lot of ways. And I do, I used to, I'm, I'm rethinking, I've always said that it's sort of a gay privilege that we can't have surprise babies 
Um, but now I'm a little bit mad about it. <laughs> like I'm a little bit mad I can't have a surprise baby because it seems yeah. like it's a really cool thing to do. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, Nova was sort of our <laughs> surprise baby, right? Because I think one of the first inklings that, you know, Allah, that I thought that I might be pregnant, I was actually having a conversation with Ryan. Like, yes, that's you know, absolutely I'm having true. this drink, but I feel like I probably shouldn't be drinking. I right said, girl, now. get a test. Get <laughs> yeah. a test tonight. What are you yes. doing? <laughs> That was a very real conversation we had. Yeah. After, but I took the test after I finished my cocktail. Absolutely, you did. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to leave this on the table. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And, and I, you know, and, and two things like I did not, you know, I hope I didn't trigger you and trigger any any trauma, you know, no, in finding no. out because that was definitely like an experience I'll never forget. It's the finding out piece. Um, but secondly, on a more serious note, you know, there is pressure in that, right? And there's, and there's, it's a real stressor to, you know, like the reason why we said we didn't want to have kids or that, you know, it wasn't part of the plan was because like you said, we're bringing them into this cold ass world, man. Like, it's like, we're bringing them into this world that's like not built for them, right? Like, it's not okay. It's selfish of us to just like, oh, I want to have a kid. And like the kid didn't ask for that. He didn't ask to come into this world and have to worry about, being profiled or you know getting behind the wheel of a vehicle and what that might look like you know like all those different things and so it, it's motivation but it's also pressure and it's important to also name that and, and be intentional about that because um we're going to need support as we do this and we can't do this alone as parents you know um but like i mentioned there's a sense of belonging in our community now and i, I know that i'm not alone in raising this child even though we have no family with us we have no cousins we have no aunts we have no uncles it's been me and my wife for three years straight um so I, I still don't feel alone in that right i'm tired and i'm burnt out but i don't feel like i'm the only one trying to raise a just child in a just world you know mm -hmm. so um but it's important to acknowledge that pressure because it's real yeah. yeah yeah and building that coalition i think that's it is the cold world, but I think we're warming it up with our fire. Yeah, that's how I do it. Yeah, we're, we're building coalition. We're finding the networks. We're creating community in a way that I think can be really transformative um, and, and hopefully leaving the world a better place for the children that will come and that are here right now that we need to be thinking about. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think you, you both are just like really making me like want to go find a kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not find a kid. <laughs> I mean, that's all we have to do. All right. <laughs> if, if you want to come, if you want to come visit, you can have him for a couple of days. I would love the break. Oh, yes. I'm, I, Kalia knows I'm so ready to do that. I am, I'm the, I will be the best gay uncle to anybody who wants me to be the best gay That uncle. is very true. <laughs> very true. And, um, you know, and, you know, just to also sort of highlight and, and really acknowledge everything that you shared, Allah, you really, I think, provided to our listeners, particularly student listeners, a really amazing snapshot of what it's like to, um, you know, want to be an occupational therapy practitioner, but really bring your your interests and motivations to that work yeah. um, in ways that, you know, not just contribute to the profession, like everything that we do contributes in some way, right? But something that is really going to have a larger contribution even beyond, you know, something that transcends OT and really, um, I think, make, makes makes our country better, but also just makes us better stewards to each other and to this right. earth. And so um, I hope you, you all who are listening have taken note on 
you know, um, Allah's trajectory, particularly paying attention to the research that he did on the institution he decided to attend, you know, doing, um, making those phone calls, asking the hard questions, saying like, this is what I want to do. How can you support me? Is this something you're going to be on board with? Because um, that is so important, particularly if you are interested in pursuing a, a, a clinical doctorate or a research doctorate, you know, having having that support to really pursue the things that are important to you um, to do that. And, you know, and if you have a surprise baby on the way, you know, then that's fine too. (laughs) We can talk about that too. You're right. No, I think we're going to have you back for a couple different episodes. One, you said the term just service, which I think is a really powerful term that I would love to unpack at a different time. Um, But also just OT parenting and all the things parenting, I think could be a really great episode as well. So we will definitely have you back uh, for sure. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Just to kind of piggyback on what Khalid just said about, you know, do, you know, kind of being your authentic self as you enter the profession. Yeah. You want to make it for a better world, but honestly do it for yourself. It's going to make you that much better of a clinician is to do what you want to do as an OT, not what you're supposed to or told to do, right? Often what we're told to do doesn't fit with our, our worldview. And if it doesn't, then don't make it fit. Don't force it. Be yourself. You know, part of being a clinician and being client-centered is also being like authentic in who you are. How are you supposed to tell somebody to be who they are when you're not yourself, who you are, right? Um, and so do it for yourself. Do, find out what you love. Um, and if, if your love is to help others, you know, do it, you do it your way and don't let the institutions or the systems pigeonhole you or put you in a corner and tell you how to, how to live your life and how to be an OT. Um, the beauty of our profession is the versatility. And if we're limiting that, then we're kind of defeating the purpose. So I honestly appreciate the, the, the time today. Um, I wish you both a really good rest of the day. Um, and where can our listeners find you? And so, yeah, so you can find me, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at no bias, K-N-O-W-B-I-A-S-O-T and nobias.net. And like I mentioned, we really want to not only amplify um, persons of color in our, in our business and our organization, but we want to actually center them. And that's the difference, right? Really want to center these experiences and those experiences is what make you an expert. And I'm not going to limit your expertise or, or tell you how much you can and can't speak. Um, we're doing a lecture, um, a workshop um, in August and September, and you'll see flyers coming out for, the, for the, all of those. These are individuals that reach out to me in my, in my organization um, to, you know, because they have been told they can't do this or they've been, you know, or they've done an idea or they've done a, a lecture and they've someone's taken it from them, right? Or told that they can't do it in this university or that university. And so, you know, I want to provide that platform for people. Um, and so, and, and pay them for it, right? Um, not only pay them for, for, for speaking, but pay them for the prep work, pay them per registration. And so what we do is we try and be as equitable as possible. And so any ticket sales or, or anything that we make is 50-50 across the board. Um, we really want to provide our clinicians and our, our speakers um, the, the agency to do whatever the hell they think is best. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. uh, what they think and what they feel and what they hear and what they've been through is in and of itself expertise. I'm not going to limit that. So um, sort of a quick kind of recap of the business, but. 
Yeah, no, we appreciate that. And y'all, please stay tuned. Uh, follow a lot Twitter, Instagram. Um, also, send them a request on LinkedIn because um, that's where I found them. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, yeah, look out for those uh, workshops and please support um, his efforts and bring those efforts to your locales. And we will catch you all next time on the interwebs. Keep thoughting. Build the fire together. See you Thanks next time. So All right. Bye.